Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in LA. And today we go back to the year 1986 to dig into the charts and shine some light on the songs that made it all the way to number two, but no further. It's our Close But No Cigar series. No, no. Stuck in the 80s is now listener supported via Patreon. Join us for VIP Zoom happy hours and more when you join at patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. 80s Nation, welcome back. Where you guys been? Seems like it's only been a week. <laughs> this series seems like I, we started it when we were teenagers. Oh, yeah. Well, we probably but did. I really love it, though. It's like one of those series of shows that I feel so comfortable with, and I just know when it's over, we're going to be we're going we're going to be looking for someone to hug. We're going to have like a four part wake. <laughs> yeah, the person leading that wake should be uh, our good friend Chuck Coverly. He was the one who came up with this masterpiece of a spreadsheet that goes all the way back to the 1600s, showing us all the songs that made it to two on the Billboard charts in the U.S., but no further. If you want to show him some love, he makes customized face masks, bandanas, ornaments, whatever you want, uh, many already in an 80s motif, and they're at thefoxandpossum.com. She's a fox. In France, she would be called La Renard, and she would be hunted with only her cunning to protect her. Oh, yeah. So 1986, Brad, we were in college, sophomore year? End yeah. of our freshman year. End of freshman and beginning of sophomore, you know, what with the summer in the middle there. I'm trying to remember I had, what I did that summer. I worked at a video store. I worked at Pick a Flick in Clearwater. That was the, that's, that's when a boy became a man. Mmm, nice. Uh, it was wonderful because I, I, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but it was, it would have been a long time ago. It, it was this small chain of video stores that I think they were, I don't think Blockbuster was out yet. Right. And they hadn't taken over the market yet. They had maybe four or five locations. And I worked at one that was in some lonely strip mall in Dunedin. And it was at the end of this really sad strip mall that had probably been there for 40 years. And we maybe got 10 customers a day. So I would sit there and just watch movies on the couch, you know, until someone came in. <laughs> there was a in. couch in the store? Love yeah, it. Yeah, there, there was a TV and a couch in front of it. And I, just, I spent all my time on the couch just watching movies nonstop. And that was that was the store, if you remember correctly, where we only had one copy of Back to the Future because right. the other copy we had given to the pizza place in exchange for free pizza whenever we wanted it. Oh, that's a trade you should make any time. Yeah. Because back then you could only a store could only afford you know maybe two or three copies of a of a movie they were they yeah, were yeah especially when you're only getting ten customers a day yeah it was wonderful I, I used to take naps on the couch during my shift I mean, it was, and then the, when the door would open it would make like a buzzing sound and I would wake up I was gonna say you like lock the door and wait for someone to pound on the door and you're like oh oh no. yeah I was in the back uh, unboxing well, was, new new releases yeah that's it we had those big um, you know cardboard cutouts of whatever the latest movie was sure yeah and I would, standees I would they call those up against the couch. So that you couldn't see that I was sleeping on it. That's smart. No one would ever suspect that. <laughs> I could have been in the CIA, I'm telling you. It was such a masterpiece of... Uh, oh, my gosh. Misdirection in disguise. No, no, that wasn't me. That was Michael J. Fox on the couch. I'm not wearing anything. I see that. It was warm. It seems cooler now. I'll get dressed. So anyway, we were, we're up at that time of the 80s now where every year is going to have so many songs that we're stuck at number two, that we're going to have to make most of these shows two-parters. So today, yeah. we have six songs to cover. Brad's going to do three. I'll do three. Uh, we'll talk about the number two song, and we'll, and we'll tell you what uh, sinister tune kept it out of the top oh, spot. So much sinisterness. Sinisterity? What's the word there? You're asking me? I'm, You're I'm right not a writer. A living, dude. 
Okay, let's get started. Brad, what's your first okay. uh, number two hit from 1986? My first number two hit from the Rocky Four soundtrack. It's Burning Heart by Survivor. I like this song. Oh, mm. I mean, this is just like beautiful, beautiful, perfect soundtrack 80s cheese. And I'm not talking like Velveeta. I'm talking like a nice sharp cheddar. It doesn't melt very well, though. Uh, you know what? It's really good in mac and cheese, though. Yeah. Two weeks at number two in February of 86. This is, as I mentioned, this is the top single from the Rocky Four soundtrack album. Beat out living in America by just a couple of slots, which that peaked at four. This song is not on any Survivor studio albums. Huh. Yeah, it shows on up on some of the compilations. Kel Surprise, it was a huge hit. But it was written by Jim Peterick, Peterick, and Frankie Sullivan, Survivor's keyboardist and lead guitarist. We had Frankie on the show one time. It was a long time oh, ago. I'd forgotten about that. But uh, these are the guys that brought you Eye of the Tiger from Rocky Three, which kind of led to. Uh, Stallone saying, hey, I want you to write me a song for my next movie. And, you know, he sent over a script and they kind of read through it and end up with this, you know, basically, let's face it, this is a Cold War. It's not like a Cold War love song. It's like a Cold War war song almost. I mean, the the lyrics are crazy. Two worlds collide, rival nations. It's a primitive clash venting years of frustrations. It's handy. Handy rhyme. It's almost like an Asia song there. It, it's like you're taking notes in history class in, in 12th grade. Yeah. yeah like, it wait kind a minute. Of is. If we could just make these things rhyme, this would be a great song. Yeah. The lineup of Survivor over the years, is it's all over the place. But Jim and Frankie were founding members. And Frankie's still with the band. I mean, such as it is. Uh, you know, so many people have either passed away or left or gone on to other things. Am I misremembering or did they back out of one of the cruises because they, they got new they, management? They backed out of the... First cruise, I think it was, because they had a sudden change in management. Okay. And that's, that's, I think, how we got Richard Marks instead. Oh, interesting. Well, Jim's done a lot of songwriting. Um, he obviously wrote a lot of stuff for Survivor, but he also did Hold On Loosely and Caught Up In You for 38 Special. And he wrote Heavy Metal for Sammy Agar. Nice. These guys are not Kenny Loggins, who we'll talk about in a minute, but they did some trade-in soundtracks outside the Rocky franchise. They... um had Moment of Truth on the Karate Kid soundtrack, for one. We don't give that soundtrack enough love. I mean, that really, I, I didn't own it, but I bet I know every song on it. But yeah, that's a song where you're like, Moment of Truth, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And then you play it and you're like, mm, still not really getting it. And then to the, gets to the chorus, you're like, yes, I am in. <laughs> that's when it hits home. So what song kept it out? This is what kept it out. It's Dionne Warwick and Friends with That's What Friends Are For. Keep smiling. Keep shining, knowing you can always count on me, for sure. That's what friends are for, for good times and bad times. I'll be on your side forevermore. That's what friends are for. Steve. This is a cover. We should be talking about this song on one of our cover shows. I'm sure we will. Yeah. We'll get to it eventually. Where did it first appear? It was recorded by Rod Stewart for the Night Shift soundtrack. Oh, nice. Yeah, it plays over the closing. His version plays over the closing credits. Uh, it's written by Burt Bacharach and his writing partner and, at least for a time, wife Carol Bayer Sager. I think we kind of knew this. We, we knew this was a cover, though, didn't we? Um, I, I mean... When I read this, I thought to myself, oh, yeah, I remember that Rod Stewart version, but I never gave any thought to which version came first. Okay. That doesn't matter. I just, I, you know, I, but the Burt Bacharach, Dionne Warwick connection, that makes a lot of sense. Sure. But uh, this, the Dionne Warwick and Friends version far outshines Rod Stewart's version. It was number one for four weeks. It's a charity single for AIDS research and prevention and... Who were the friends, you ask? Well, the friends... Well, wait, let me see if I can name them. Let me see if I can name okay. them. Well, I know, I know Elton John was there. Yep. 
Well, Stevie Wonder, because I, I mean, his voice is very distinctive, but I, I can't for yep. the life of me name the other person. Well, not an 80s icon, really. Gladys Knight. Oh, More, more of a 70s icon. Okay. Yeah. This recording raised over $3 million for AIDS research and won a couple Grammys. One for, uh, this is a long award. I don't know how they fit this all on the engraved board on it. It's Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. <laughs> they had to use the had to use the eight point font on that one, yeah. And then a little punchier title, the also one song of the year. Billboard has us at number seventy five in their greatest songs of all time list. Mm, what? No, I, mm, I I really think look, it's this is the problem with the the social messaging or the cause songs is if you don't like the song, it's like you're bagging on the cause. And I, it's just this is kind of a nothing burger of a song to me. I think it's a great cause, and I think it's wonderful that they raise that money. But I, seventy fifth greatest song of all time. You know what it is? Uh, no. Here's the thing. It, it there's nothing wrong with this song. It just doesn't fit the mold of eighties music that you and I embrace. Well, that's true. And you kind of wonder, like, did it chart so highly because it was, you know, raising money for a good cause or because it's a good song? Does it matter? I don't even know. Well, let's put all that aside and let's get to a song that has 80s written. It's like, it's like if you could dive into a pool of 80s-ness oh. and swim around in the deep end, it would be this song. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Talk about long song titles. When the Going Gets Tough, the Tough Get Going by Billy Ocean. Oh, Billy. This is an interesting song. I loved the movie Romancing the Stone. Oh, sure. Who doesn't? Kathleen Turner, Michael Douglas. It's it's a it's a nice Danny DeVito is oh so good. <laughs> and fantastic. John Wilder? John Wilder? Vision Wilder. And then in in 86, they come out with a sequel, The Jewel of the Nile. And I was just so disappointed with it. You know, I love it when the podcast reinforces my life choices. I've never seen Jewel of the Nile. No, you don't need to. And it'll never be on cable. I mean, there's just no reason to show it. It's All it does is it fast forwards. You know, they're still kind of in love with each other. and They're yucking it up. In the Caribbean or something, not the Caribbean, maybe the Mediterranean, yeah. and and then the movie ends with them getting married. So blah blah Aww. blah blah blah. But wait, 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 wait! It's the Steve Spears story. <laughs> oh, that's true. Spend time on a boat. Dot dot dot, and they got married. Yeah. So it's this is the theme song to the movie. Here's how it happened. So Billy Ocean was got to see a rough cut of the movie. He saw a scene when um, Kathleen Turner turns to Michael Douglas and says, "Well." When the going gets tough, the tough, I don't know what the tough do. <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> so he basically goes back and he takes a phrase that's long been attributed to, to Joseph Kennedy, the, the father of JFK, and he turns it into this this catchy little ditty. And the video, which I don't like to talk about the videos as much as you do, but it's it's a cute little video. If you ever want to watch any of part of Jewel of the Nile, just watch the video because it shows okay. Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito uh, lip syncing you know, behind Billy Ocean as he performs. So. Is Danny DeVito in Jewel of the Nile? Yes, of course. Uh, I might watch it just for that. <laughs> I don't, there's no need to be a Danny DeVito completist on my sake. Uh, okay, okay. Okay. But here's what you really want to know. What song kept it out? Yeah, what kept it out, Spiercy? <laughs> this tune. How Will I Know by Whitney Houston off her debut album in 1985. Oh, so, Whitney Houston. It took a while. She, she Did she spring fully formed at the peak of her powers with her debut? Yes. 
like Athena from Zeus's skull. This song has a bit of an interesting story behind it. You've heard of the band Boy Meets Girl, right? Oh, I love that song. I know exactly what song you're going to talk about because there's only one song that anybody knows by them. Yeah, Waiting for a Star to Fall. Well, they were they recorded that, but they were basically songwriters. Mm-hmm. So George Merrill and Shannon Rubicam are Boys Meet Girl. And they wrote songs for a variety of acts. In fact, they wrote Waiting for a Star to Fall for Whitney Houston. She didn't want it, so they recorded it herself. They wrote How Will I Know for Janet Jackson. Really? She was working on her Control album, and she passed on No, that's not going to work for Janet Jackson. No, no. It's not thematically correct. (laughs) Now the song is up for grabs. A lot of people look at it. And eventually, uh, Whitney Houston's people grab it, but they want to change the lyrics. Well, the original composers don't love that idea so much. So without going into punch by punch and blow by blow, let's just say... Lyrics were changed, the song was recorded, and they get a number one hit out of it. So I think everyone in the end is pretty happy. Uh, yeah, if they can still say, if they still get the writing credit, then you know, yeah. swallow your pride and cash the check. They'd be fun to talk to, by the way. I wonder if they, they would. would. Uh, oh, I wonder if they would. That'd be great. That'd be fun. I do remember picking uh, Waiting for a Star to Fall as my last song of the 80s sound when we did that series so long ago. <laughs> God, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Okay, what's your second song to profile this week, Brad? Okay, here we go. Steve, stuck at number two in April 1986 was this tune. Yeah, that's R-O-C-K in the USA by our good buddy, John Cougar Mellencamp. By this point, he was recording as John Cougar Mellencamp. I feel so bad for him, you know, having to slowly transition his name over the years. Yeah, back to his actual name. I know, yeah. it's, a weird, it's a weird piece of business. You know, you think John, Mr. Mellencamp, what should we call him, JCM, he had nine top ten hits in the 80s. Nine, which I could not believe. Among them, one number one, which was... Jack and Diane clearly and one other number two obviously this went to number two and uh, pink houses hurt so good oh how would i not how would i not think that this is the third single off of scarecrow behind lonely old night and small town which both peaked at number six i know i'm on the record here with the podcast as saying that name check songs are lazy and poor songwriting but i'm making an exception for this song i love this song it's catchy it's fun it's snappy and it's not too proud to sleep on the floor tonight, Steve. I don't. Are you on the record talking about name check songs? I, yeah, I don't remember. Um, don't you remember? Uh, I got called a name by one of our uh, by one of our guest hosts, Brad. You ignorant slut. Oh, that's right. I, I'm sorry. You know, it's it's funny because I mean, I spent the day going back and reading feedback on our website that we haven't we forgot to check for the last two years yeah. and, and it's funny because every once in a while we get we get a really mean email from from someone who's like uh you know you guys are supposed to celebrate the 80s and not dump on it so every time you do a negative show i just that's one more nail in the coffin for your podcast kind of thing I, you know i feel like we were generally pretty positive there are some things we don't like you know the episode he was talking about was one of the ones that from the seventies, and, and I, I generally think we 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 showed a lot of love for those songs, but well, I don't know. Can't make everyone happy. You're right, you can't. So let's talk about the video, Steve. The video for this is fantastic. The subtitle for the song is "A Salute to Sixties Rock," and the video really kind of kind of hones in on that. Um, opening shot: you've got these two kids in an MGA. They cruise up to what looks like it's probably a church. They go down in the basement to practice with their band. And the drummer is wearing a beret and sunglasses. It's amazing. Everyone's smoking. There's women that are like watching their boyfriends play. And they're all in heels and like dresses. And they're all dressed up. I mean, it's a scene. It's just a scene in the basement. It cuts to a black woman walking down the street with a collection of records. Yeah, you know, you, you hipsters love the records. And she gets to a friend's house, goes in, they put on some music, and they start working on choreography, right? This is also a scene. Maybe you can see where this is going. Maybe you can't. Maybe you should watch the video. Next thing you know, they're back on the street. The boys are cruising in their MGA. And who do they see on the sidewalk, Steve? (gasps) 
It's a couple of the people that we just saw working on choreography. They screech to stop. There's literally a tire screeching noise in the video. And get out and go over and talk to these people. And, you know, if you've ever seen a peanut butter cup commercial, you know what's coming next. The two groups blend together and it's fantastic. They finish up the song together on what looks like a like a American bandstand looking TV soundstage. And honestly, Steve, I want to go see this band live. <laughs> they look great. They look like they're having a super fun time. The bass player's trying to dance. He's got no rhythm. He can't get the steps right. It's oh, it's great. You got to see this video. Your enthusiasm is truly uh, uh, adorable. <laughs> well, you know, I'm trying to work positive here. You know, we get that feedback. I'm trying to work positive. <laughs> What song kept it out of the top spot? You know what else I'm positive about? I'm positive that this song that you're about to hear kept it out of the number one spot. I love this song. This song is... Uh, I might ha- I might play it as we walk down the aisle at the wedding. Let's put it that way. Oh, oh that'd be pretty sweet. I don't. Think yeah, that- this is one of those. This is one of those songs where you're like, you made it to number one. Fair play, fair play. Mm. Yeah, I love this. Tell me more about the wedding. There is supposed to be actually uh, '80s music before the ceremony begins. Oh yeah, by the musicians who will be there. Nice. So we were still working. We were just talking about that this week. So. Excellent. I don't want to give well, too much you, away. I hope some help curating the playlist. You let me know. I'm sure you don't, but we don't have a DJ for it or anything. It's just this. Is, I mean, oh the no, musician... I'll write out. I mean, I'll write out parts for him if you need me to. For your oboe, was it the oboe that you played? <sighs> no, Steve, it was not. Smartass. Tell me more about Falco. <laughs> okay, so this was number one for three weeks that spring, which is just glorious. There's not really a true English language version of this song. The version that we know from the radio was a remix with the English background overlay. In 2005, the Stuck in the 80s podcast team records their first episode. (laughs) Falco, with this song, became the first German-speaking artist to top the Billboard Hot 100. That's right, Nina. You can get the back of the bus. As you remember from episode 577, 99 Left Balloon stalled at number two in 84. Yeah. Boo-hoo. It needed more powdered wigs. Okay. You had your fun, and I've, I've revealed too much about the wedding already. So let me get going with my next song from 1986 that climbed all the way to number two in April, but no further. You're going to love this one, Brad. Manic Monday by the Bengals. Hmm. In general, I like the Bengals, yes. You don't like this song, huh? That's okay. I, it's not my first choice for a Bengals song. If I was going to have them play my birthday party and I got to give them a set list, I don't know if this would make it. You wouldn't put... It doesn't even make the set list? Yeah, I don't think so. Now that I know you're upset about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die on that hill. <laughs> it doesn't even make the set list? I mean, it's a... I mean, they're not the deepest catalog of bands. I mean, they're going to have to play Walk Like an Egyptian twice that, that they show. They can play Hazy Shade of Winter twice. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, God. Oh, I think I'm getting heart palpitations. This is not good. I don't understand what's happening in this show. Death by podcast. <laughs> it's the way he wanted to go. Uh, anyway. It's when he I think a lot of people. <laughs> A lot of people know a little bit about this song. I, most people know that Prince wrote it. He wrote it under the pseudonym uh, Christopher. It was a character he actually played in the movie Under the Cherry Moon. He hmm. wrote it, though, originally for Apollonia 6. They didn't get around to doing it. He cut a demo of it. You want to hear how it sounds? I do, actually. Here you go. Sunday. 
I like his version. Yeah, I actually, I think I prefer that. Yeah, I think I do too. But Prince became aware of the Bangles. He came, he saw a video on MTV of one of their early hits, Hero Takes a Fall. That probably makes your set list for your Oh, birthday. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. He shows up at a Bengals show in LA. He puts together a mixtape for the, for the group with two songs on there that he writes and wants him to record. One was Manic Monday. And the other was called Jealous Girl. And if you Google Prince and Jealous Girl, you can hear him do a demo on that too. My 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 tiny little lizard brain is exploding right now at the thought of Prince walking up and saying, Here, I made you a mixtape. It would <laughs> like wait, what? Yeah. What's interesting too is if you go and you do some real research on this song, which I did today. Good man. Um grammatically speaking, the lyric should be Wish it were Sunday, not wish it was Sunday. That's kind of a Prince trademark. He did the same thing on If I Was Your Girlfriend. Hmm. This has been Grammar Talk with Stephen Brad. Yeah. Anyway, what song kept it out of the number one spot? Brad should ask at this point, but he's too busy kind of coming up with that really lame set list for his birthday. <sighs> You just you're not you're not invited. You're uninvited. That's a long plane ride. Irony lives at last. Don't have to be rich to be my girl. You don't have to be cool to rule my world. Ain't no particular sign I'm more compatible with. I just want your extra time and your kiss. Yep, that's Kiss by Prince and the Revolution. He kept his own song out of the number one spot. Or by the other token, he had the number one and the number two spots at the same I, time. I'll say this. I would I would rather hear Manic Monday than Kiss. I think there's another version of Kiss that I would prefer to this version. Oh, you like the version with Tom Jones uh, and Art of Noise. I do. I do like that version. But that version is nothing without the Prince version to, yeah. or to reflect off of. So exactly, I can't really... Exactly. In, good conscience say <laughs> anything else well if in all fairness warner brothers didn't really love this song either they didn't want to even release it as a single it was off his eighth studio album parade but it would become his third number one hit can you name his first two um let's go crazy and purple rain close uh when doves cry Oh yeah, we did. We just talk about that. Did yeah. that just come up? Uh, yeah, I I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay, cool. Well, I, it kind of makes me laugh that the Warner Brothers people were that wrong. But well, it just it, it's not the sort of information that you keep in your head. Like I can quote probably seventy percent of the Ferris Bueller script, but I I can't tell you where songs you know peaked on the Billboard chart. No. So that's anyway. why we do the. That's why we do these shows. Rolling Stone magazine. They liked the song well enough to put it on their 500 greatest songs of all time list, although it does rank at number 464. Well, you know, you're on the list, as I've said before. You're you're in the clubhouse. Okay. So what's your next number two, Close But No Scar tune? I got one left, and it's, it's Movie Soundtrack Week in America with this bad boy. Do I even need to tell you what song that was? If I do, I'm not sure you're listening to the right podcast. But just in case, you know, maybe you uh, stepped out for a beer and didn't hear the clip. That was Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. America, we need to have a talk. How is this not a number one? It, it boggles it boggles the mind. This is the lead single. I mean, the lead recruiting tool from the Top Gun soundtrack. And it was a number two for one shining week in July. Wow. Yeah. This baby was written by Giorgio Moroder and Tom Whitlock. Nice. They also collaborated on Take My Breath Away and three other songs for Top Gun. Did you own Top Gun soundtrack? No, I wasn't really a soundtrack buyer. I, if it was a John Hughes movie, I, I mean, I know I had Pretty in Pink and some kind of wonderful. And I certainly had Purple Rain. Uh, but I don't, yeah. I don't know that I bought Top Gun. I mean, it was just it was on the radio. You didn't need to buy it. Right, right, exactly. 
I mean, I do remember buying the Something Wild soundtrack. There's a cover of uh, Ever Fallen in Love on there that I like. And Man with a Gun by Jerry Harrison. That song's amazing. But I wasn't a big soundtrack buyer. Okay. Tell us more about Danger Zone then. Yeah. So Tom Whitlock, well, you don't, you need, who cares about Danger Zone? Let's talk about Tom Whitlock. So Tom Whitlock met Marauder at his friend's studio. Giorgio was complaining about the brakes on his Ferrari. Yeah. You know, we've all been there, right? And so Tom went to Pet Boys, got some brake fluid, and fixed them brakes. Boom! Let's write songs! Which, <laughs> as it turns out, is almost exactly the same way I, I met Steve Spears. Except instead of a Ferrari, it was a roadside alligator farm. And instead of brakes, well, we don't talk about that after the court case. <laughs> the? Well, I must have really had too much to drink back in those days. Yeah. Anyway, Marauder and Whitlock wrote a lot of stuff together, including songs for Over the Top, American Anthem, Rambo 3, the Summer Olympics, and the 1990 FIFA World Cup official song, which is kind of, yeah, but, you know, official songs for sports events are usually kind of crap. Let's face it. <laughs> Jeez. Tell me about the video. Steve, I thought you'd never ask. This video is exactly what you think it's going to be. It's basically the movie footage. And then Kenny Loggins is kind of lip-syncing along. He's sporting a crisp white linen shirt and the ever-present aviator sunglasses while he lounges around in a room with high ceilings and no air conditioning. Ah, yes. The old sweaty sweaty actor uh, look from all those yeah. types of movies. I remember them I'm well. assuming there's no air conditioning because there's like 42 fans going in the room. So. <laughs> got like 42 fans in my room right now going. So, Living the dream. Does Kenny still do this in concert? Yes, he does, because he knows what the people want. <laughs> you know, I've seen him twice. Uh, he, he did the 80s cruise, and, and Top Gun was one of the final songs. Mm -hmm. And he plays the cartoon version of himself from... <laughs> Archer, right? Archer, yeah, in the background, which is hilarious. I saw him perform in Clearwater when I still lived in Tampa Bay, and I don't know that he played this song. I, I, I don't know why my voice went so high. But there's so much. There's so much for him to choose from. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, and it wasn't. It wasn't meant for an '80s crowd. So I would not have been shocked if he had left that one out. Yeah. So, Steve, you may be wondering what kept it out of the top spot. Well, I'm here to play some of that song for you right now. Sledgehammer, I, I find that hard to believe. It was number one for just one week. Oh, man. Just slipped up there long enough to block Kenny. Let me ask you this. I mean, like, we're focusing on number two, number one, number two, number one. Do you think the artists, do you think it tweaked them? Do you think they remember that at all? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is it one of those things where... Like in sports, you know, you make it to the finals and you lose. They're still like, well, I didn't, you know, I, I had a chance to actually win and I didn't. So I'm number two. Hmm. But I mean, and the I'm, charts, I don't know if it's the same. Number yeah. two is not a loss. I mean, it's like. You, you, exactly. It's different. That's I'm, You could make a you. career out of out of just being in the top 20 twice, probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, where did uh, where did Take On Me go? Oh, that's a bad example. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but it was just. I, I don't know. I just wonder, like, if, is that something they even remember? Or they're just like, no, I just remember I bought this house with the proceeds. So uh, Yeah, at some point you would hope that they could be, you know, happy about where yeah. it landed and pragmatic about the uh, the money that keeps flowing into their bank account as a result of recording sure. these songs. So let me tell you a couple things about Sledgehammer. We won't get into too much of this because you know so much better already. Uh, did you know this appears in a Miami Vice episode? No. Yeah, Better Living Through Chemistry. <laughs> Peter Gabriel had seven songs in Miami Vice episodes. Jeez. Yeah. I, I would never have guessed that. Yeah. That's a big number. I didn't, and I didn't watch the show, so I don't know. I never really thought much about this until I was reading the lyrics today, but the song, get this, folks, this song is about sex. <gasps> huh. Peter Gabriel said, and I quote, sometimes sex can break through barriers when other forms of communication are not working too well. End quote. Huh. Yeah. And to clarify, this is not how Steve and I work through our communication barriers. 
We just switched to texting. <laughs> I, I don't think I've even seen Brad in a bathing suit. Well, that's because so. you didn't come up to the deck on the cruise, baby. I, I was at the pool. I was at the, the not the one in the sunshine, the, the one in the solarium. Yes. But, yes. but no, I, no I, I don't, I'm pretty sure I've never seen you even in a swimsuit. So, Well, come by, baby. I feel good about that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we, we're not going to talk about the video for this one because it's just been covered to death. Okay. We'll talk about the video of my next song, my, my last Yay. song for this show because I think it's, it's probably the most uh, notable one of the day. Are you ready? Hit me. Here's the, the final number two uh, song for this show. Dancing on the Ceiling by Mr. Lionel Richie. Unlike most of the songs we've talked about today, this song was actually savaged by critics. They hated it. Hmm. Why? They just thought it was overly simplistic and... Was it lazy songwriting, Steve? Well, it's, it's not... I have no problem with Dancing on the Ceiling. I mean, there's nothing. There's no depth. No, there, I like. I mean, it's all in the title. That's fine. I know? like. Shut I up and like, dance. It is one of my bucket list things to see Lionel Richie in concert. Uh, future wife has seen him twice, but she's she wants to go and see him together, and so we ho- we hope to do that. And I hear he puts on an amazing show. Actually, I actually looked at the set list because I'm I'm such a. Oh, what's the word I'm looking? For? I like. To, I like I like to know what the set list is ahead of time. Sometimes you hate surprises. He plays this one like third. That's like his third song on the set list. Well, so. well you know, kind of get the crowd going, get it out of the way. Blender Magazine once called it uh, one of the fifty worst songs of all time. That's uh, I hate lists like that. Yeah, I, just I know. Cannot stand lists like that because it's again, it's I think it's really lazy because. It's not one of the 50 worst songs of all time. It might be one of the 50 worst songs of all time that you've actually ever heard. Or might be one of the 50 worst songs that ever reached the top five. Yeah. I just uh, It's you know, fine. Focus, it's, focus your headline a little bit there, Blender. No, it's, it, that's just what people do. That's, just, that's, that's what we live in in the age of the internet. You know, that's, what you ha- that's what it takes. I, mean, I, sat there, you... I sat there last night looking at a list of... From Rolling Stone magazine of ranking the Tom Hanks movies number one to number fifty three. Oh gosh! And, and I sat there and, and was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god!" The only the only one I remember was number fifty three. The worst one was the Terminal, which I agree with. Mm, I haven't seen it. Oh, and number one was Apollo thirteen. And most of our eighties ones were scattered, you know, among. I think Big was in the top ten. I think Big might have been number two. But where was that thing you do? <laughs> I don't know. I. 53, I, and it was one of those stupid ones where they showed you five at a time, so you had to keep scrolling, scrolling. So they could you know. show you more ads. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just – I get tired of that, and so I, I don't have the patience for it. Anyway, back to Mr. Ritchie. Most people remember this video. It used the rotating room effect that mm-hmm. uh, first became famous in the, the movie Royal Wedding where Fred Astaire danced on the ceiling. It cost a fortune to make – it had cameos of Rodney Dangerfield and Cheech Marin in there for whatever reason. <laughs> love it. Love it. I, no, I have nothing but love for, for Lionel Richie and Dancing on the Ceiling. Will it be played at the wedding? I don't know. <laughs> Let's not talk about that anymore. Let's talk about the two songs that kept it out of the number two spot. Two songs. Takes two songs to keep Lionel Richie down. Yeah, this one we've already mentioned. Take my Take My Breath Away by Berlin. Yeah, the song, it was a huge hit, thanks to Top Gun. Yeah. But it also basically broke up the group there in the late 80s. Mm. So take the good with the bad. That um, Well, okay, let me ask you a question, though, about Berlin. If that doesn't happen, is Berlin back together today? What would have happened to Berlin? Would they have just faded out and been a complete footnote, or what? That's a, that's a fair question. We've interviewed them enough times. You think we would have asked? You that. think we would have asked that one? Well, <laughs> next time, next time we interview them on the cruise I, again, again. I think that they were like a lot of groups. You know, they had been together for almost ten years, and I think they 
probably saw themselves going in different directions, and that song was the one that they ultimately got the blame. Yeah, it like it was going to happen anyway. You think, or one way yeah. or another, can't keep I, a band together. I mean, I they have to play it now every time they perform, and they're back together, and they they perform on every '80s cruise, and they still do a lot of touring in the U.S. And I'm sure they're just can't. I think even Terry was on morning television. She was in L.A. today. Yeah, yeah talking about touring plans. But this is a song they play. It's it comes usually like I don't know one of the like second to the last song they play. Yeah. I, th- I think they've all made their peace with it, and that's that's fine. I mean, everyone has that song that they don't want to like to play, but they got to play anyway. The other song, this one by Huey Lewis in the News. I don't see Stuck With You as being a number one song. Uh, you, you can't see my face, but it is covered with incredulity. Yeah, no. This is, this is a fine, catchy little song, but I'm thinking, you know, top ten is where we see that landing. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I, it was the first album off their fourth album. Do you remember what their fourth album was called? Um, let's see. Oh, it was four. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Clever. Clever. I didn't even see that coming until it came out of my mouth. <laughs> it was their second number one hit following uh, The Power of Love the year before. This is a fine pop song, but number one, good for you, Huey. Good for you. I, well, I think they had just they, – they were so big right then that whatever song came out, whatever their first single was off that album, it was going to be a number one hit. Yeah, you make a good point. So that, I think that's the momentum of their – career at that point probably lent itself to that accomplishment more than the song itself anyway according to Huey the song is about a girl that he liked she didn't like it the tune that is once he revealed it to her so that's that's how's that for gratitude yeah that seems like a common theme like don't be writing songs about your girlfriend apparently because it just doesn't work out for you you know (laughs) You got your you got your Toto, you got your uh, Steve Perry, now you got your Huey Lewis. Just, you know, tamp those feelings down like the rest of us do, okay? <laughs> Just bury them deep inside and don't let them ever come out. <laughs> I think that's probably for the best. Yeah, with everything. There's one thing, though, that you have to let out at this moment. <laughs> the Seggies. Hey, it's time for our new Seggy, Stuck in the Arcade. I, I love the, the theme music for this one so much. Mm, it is quite quite choice. Makes me want to break out my Atari 2600 and get to work. Anyway, uh, how it goes, we'll play a snippet of a video game, an arcade game, I guess, if we're being specific. Well, the, yeah, so far they've all been arcade. Yeah. We, might, we might bridge into console games at some point, but... <laughs> Right now, we're going to stick with Arcade. Uh, if you know it, you're entered into a drawing to win a postal-friendly bottle opener. Wow, that came out nice today. Smooth as silk. No matter how screwed up my throat is and my head is bubbling from drinking too much club soda today, I can still say postal-friendly bottle opener. Um, mm. Here was the clip from the last time we did the Seggy. That's Frogger. If it makes anybody feel any better, I didn't get it. What part of the game is that from, Brad? Uh, that is the music that plays when you get the fifth frog into that little frog dock at the top of the screen. Oh. Not the intro music. It's like mid-game, kind of like cut scene in the middle. Okay. Music. Well, it wasn't that hard because we got a fair number of winners. Yeah. I mean, is that too hard? You know, come on, people. I can't use Pac-Man every week. <laughs> was there only Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man? Was there any a third one? I feel like there was. Yeah, I know. It's just like Super Pac-Man. Wasn't there Super, Super Pac-Man? Yeah, or am I thinking like Super Asteroids? Wasn't Super Asteroids just regular asteroids except for they put a colored screen behind it? I don't remember. <laughs> there was a version of Asteroids where all they did was put like a... They just put like a film behind it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, now the asteroid's yellow. Oh, now it's green. Well, yeah. I mean, those, anyway, those vector uh, graphics screens, they were single color. So, you know, yeah. any colors you saw, like, what was it? The one with the spinning uh, shields that the guy was in the middle. That was all just 
colored gels. So anyway. Oh. Well, thanks for ruining my childhood. You know what? If you give your childhood to a video game like that, you deserve to have it ruined. I stare out into the blackness of night and I ponder my very being. Anyway, read the winners. <laughs> winners this week include Kelly E., Chris Walker, Ellen Titus, Bill with one L., Alan B., Jeff Penne Pasta, Dave August, Chris Living on the Air in Cincinnati Adams, Jacqueline Quackenbush, Todd in Minnesota, Vinny in Roscoe, and Dallas in St. Joe, Missouri. You know, Augie got a photo from Willow and had it autographed by the two stars from it mm. and gave it to his wife for it. I think an anniversary birthday present or anniversary present. I forget. Wow. It's personalized and everything. He, he showed it to me today. I was, I was just like, oh. So amazing. Val Kilmer. God, what was the other guy's name? And Warwick, da- Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Very cool. So, yeah, very cool. He always will get the uh, the arcade games right because he collects them. Uh, anyway, let's spin the wheel and find out who wins the uh, Postal Friendly Bottle. Here of we go. Are you ready? Yep. Not too many names on it. It's nice and light. You overdid it. You're going to pull something. Overcooked it just a little. Uh, it's going to land on Bill with one L. You were this week's lucky winner. So send us your uh, postal address and we will mail out a postal-friendly bottle opener. I know we I know we had an issue uh, that we noticed today because I was – like I said, I was, I was going and reading feedback on our website and I realized some people go there to submit the Seggy answers. Don't do that. We won't see it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to email us. Email, we say it every show. Email us at podcast at sit80s.com. That's where we look for them. Oh, so yeah. if you're sending them to my personal address, like I usually forward it back to to podcast. But Steve at the onecom No, don't do that. <laughs> anyway, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery arcade soundbite. If you know it, email us. Email, email. Us at podcast at sits.com. Oh, that finally clears up for the last five minutes of the show. That's wonderful. And tune in a couple of weeks to find out if you are a wiener. We'll be right back after this commercial break. You know, when people drop by my apartment, they say, well, this is the apartment. You can guess what they say. They say, don't you have a couch? Don't you have a dining room set? Dining room set. I do, however, have Maxwell House instant coffee. Seems to reassure most folks that I'm a reasonably tasteful guy. And after one or two cups, they forget they're sitting on lawn furniture. But when they get up, the backs of their thighs look like Belgian waffles. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. There's a sound we haven't heard in a while. That is the unmistakable sound of our very rare and still fun segi called It's a Mistake. We do this every time we... We acknowledge mistakes that we've made on the show. <laughs> yes, yes, when we acknowledge them. <laughs> Perfect. It seems like we've missed a few lately. Like I, I, I know that I, we've said, oh, good. Here's, just remember this one for it's a mistake, and then we forget. So the last show, I told a prolonged story about a misspent youth at uh, Caleb Theater in downtown Clearwater. It's not Caleb. It's Carib Theater in downtown. Which makes a little bit more sense, I have to say. And the only reason yeah it does it does i mean it's i haven't been there in like 40 years it's probably not still but, there uh, no it's not there anymore obviously um the only reason i think is you found out brad didn't you like you did a search I, or something yeah and, i was looking for something and i oh i was looking to see like oh i want to see this place and i couldn't find a result for caleb theater so i was searching for theaters in clearwater and i found some article about the one that you were telling me about where they have concerts and, you know, there was a mention in that article, like, oh, this was one of the three theaters in downtown Clearwater, the, you know, the such and such, the so-and-so, and the Carib Theater. And then I actually found a photo of the Carib Theater, like, in a parade or something. And and what's on the marquee? But the no same thing that's on the marquee when Marty McFly goes back to 1955. What was it? It was Barbara Stanwyck and Ronald Reagan. The actor? The act? The cattle queen of Montana. So yeah, my mistake. I'm just happy nobody else caught it. Probably everyone else was tuned out by then. <laughs> so Steve just won't shut up. And then the other thing you wanted to revisit, Brad, was the, what was it? The Mount Rickman yeah, exercise? Yeah, I, I, I called it Mount Rickman 
our uh, Alan Rickman Mount Rushmore. Chris Sampson and Dr. Dim both wrote in after our last show and gave us what I would consider to be, upon reflection, the canonical Mount Rickman lineup. Mount Rickman is the Mount Rushmore of roles played by Alan Rickman. Okay. And we started talking about this in the last show when I was pimping Prince of Thieves as like the greatest thing since sliced bread. Honestly, if you sit through that, watch the whole thing, half of you is going to be surprised that Morgan Freeman isn't posting selfies on Instagram with his phone. It's so, there's so many anachronisms in this movie. You just keep waiting for it to happen. But uh, anyway, I digress. The four roles that will be on Mount Rickman are as follows. Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Sheriff of Nottingham from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Severus Snape from Harry Potter. And Alexander Dane slash Dr. Lazarus from Galaxy Quest. Oh, that's a good fourth pick. Yeah, I'm a little embarrassed that we forgot that one. It's just, it's so, if, if you're not familiar with Galaxy Quest, not an 80s movie, but still a great movie. It's so well done. There's a documentary on it that's worth seeing, too. There's a documentary on Galaxy Quest? Yeah, making The Making of Galaxy oh. Quest. It's fantastic. I know what I'm doing tonight. I'm telling you. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna slap yourself for not have see, watched it earlier. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. By Grapthar's yeah. Hammer. What a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you, uh, Chris and Dim, for uh, bringing us to our senses. We are nearing the epic 600th episode of Stuck in the 80s. It's true. I think I know what we're going to do for that. I hope it works out. It's not. It's nothing grandiose. We don't. We're not like reuniting the members of Journey for a, converse, a special conversation, or we're not getting a cast to say anything to re- recreate the movie or anything like that. It's. It's just a nice little group effort that we're going to try to do. And uh, I don't. I don't want to say what it is until until I'm pretty sure that we've got it all nailed down because it's a project that we've been talking about for a year yeah. that uh, we've probably been working on for about the last 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> but I do know that the next we'll have an episode coming up uh, maybe next week on a deep dive on Rush's moving pictures. Yeah. And uh, Brad, myself, and Jen with one N are working our way through the only season of Square Pegs to, uh, to do a show on that and to honor uh, Ann Betts. So, so those are those are coming up. Stick around. We've got some great stuff coming up. In the meantime, prepare yourself as we journey through 1986, because that's where Brad and I are, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening.